Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the Madams Cast. It's been, uh, it's been a bit of a hectic time up here in Scotland and doubtless across the United Kingdom and beyond. Uh, we're all on lockdown still at the time of recording. Um, if we're out of it by the time of non-recording, then what a relief. Happy days for us. But lockdown or not, I'm going to continue with the podcast, chatting to interesting foodie people, uh, asking them to tell me what they'd like to change about the world of food, recommending a book, giving us an idea about who they are and what their story is, and just generally having a bit of a laugh and a chit-chat. And this week, I have not only my first, but my second gin producer, which I'm very excited about. First gin producer was Norfolk Gin. Uh, the lovely Stephen Marsh I'm about to have a quick chat with is from Pinkster, which I believe is based in Somerset. Uh, and it's a gin I'm familiar with, although uh, it's one of his other drinks that gets me uh, the, the most hot under the collar. So we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, but he's also a man after my own heart in terms of a bit of a foraging nut. So I'm quite excited to have a chat with Stephen. And without further ado, um, let's see if he's there to join the conversation. Stephen, at the other end of the internet, are you there? Okay. Hello, hello, Tim. Yes, I'm here. But Excellent. I'm not in Somerset. Oh, you're right. You see, I've made a mistake already. I'm not in Somerset. Uh, I know why. I know why you think I might 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 be in Somerset because we have mutual friends in Somerset, um, uh, and we may have even met down there. But actually, I'm based near Cambridge. Oh, Cambridge! Yeah. Oh, a different part of the country entirely. Very nice county. Yes, yes. Oh. Uh, we're, we're not actually we're not a million miles from uh, uh, from Norfolk Gin, so. Um... Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and have you bumped into them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've bumped into them a number of times. I, I think their product's great. I, you know, I've, I have a bottle of Norman of Norfolk gin um, in my drinks cupboard. Um, I like that. Lo- I like that. Lovely, it's one looking, of the lovely looking bottle. Yeah, it's and, a nice and, bottle, and and, and 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 great liquid. Yeah, which is ultimately the yeah. thing. Um, we, we, we like that. And I like the way that uh, artisan producers all seem to, you know, get along and support each other as well. It's a nice thing, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, and it's actually, it's, it's um, I mean, the gin world is, is very, is very small and very friendly. Um, and um, I mean, I've got probably, I've, I've probably got about sort of uh, six or seven uh, fellow small distillers um, who I, you know, quite regularly speak to. And uh, we will exchange notes on, you know, on issues. Um, uh, whether you know particular customers might not you know they're, they're a bit sticky about paying or if we've got a production issue, um, uh, you know then then we'll 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 share we'll we'll share notes with each other. Quite right, quite right. Um, now before we dive into that, because I've got a couple of questions to yeah. ask you about your method, and I'd love to hear the story of the gin. Uh, we always like to find out a little bit about the people. Uh, that are guests on the Madam's cast. And obviously, we don't need a, a blow-by-blow uh, biography uh, from the moment you were sort of conceived. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, you can go that way if you like. Uh, but um, a little synopsis of who you are, because so often the people behind the product are the key to the success. And it's certainly a key to how the product has ended up being where it is and where it's going to go in the future. So I'd really love to hear a little bit about you. Yeah. Well, th- well, I'm, you know, look, I'm, 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 a, I'm an accidental distiller. Um, uh, that doesn't mean to say I'm, I'm, I'm particularly clumsy, but I never intended to do this. And um, uh, and if if somebody had said to me twenty years ago that um, I would be, uh, I'd be, I'd be a distiller and 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 uh, and running a gin company, I would have, I would have laughed um, because I have no drink previous drinks experience um, in, in the form of production. Uh, beyond, you know, making slow gin and damson gin at home, but um, uh, it was, you know, it's pure, purely by accident. I, um, I'm, a, I'm a chartered accountant by by background. I never no- normally like to own up to that at the beginning. Of the <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> because I can, I can never hear the words without the um, Monty Python. I song know coming yeah, exactly. To Exactly, and and you know it's, it's just it's it's a little bit uh, it's you know it, it's not something I own up to very often, um, and um, uh, and obviously I haven't practiced for 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 a long time. Uh, certainly when I when I was when I was younger and uh, you know unmarried, um, you know you, you were never going to win any girls. You weren't going to you weren't going <laughs> to sort of uh, you weren't going to going to succeed in, in, in an evening um, if you owned up to being a chartered accountant. So I, I claim to be all sorts of things other than a chartered accountant um, for for many years socially. Um, 
uh, and uh, and for about twenty years, I was um, I was running marketing agencies. Okay. Uh, was okay. In, well, that's I, much more interesting. Well, well, much hang more. on. That doesn't. That now I sound like I'm anti-chartered accountant, and I'm not. I'm sure that chartered accountants do a very wonderful thing. In fact, I, I have an accountant, and I, he's a great guy, and he's very interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, most actually, you'll find that most accountants. I mean, I, and, uh, and you know, certainly, um, I can't imagine many people um, spend their childhood years dreaming of becoming a chartered accountant. Um, it, most chartered accountants fall into it because they leave university. And don't know what else to don't know what to do, and think that it's a way of putting off making a decision for another three years. Um, and it's and it's quite you know it's it's relatively well paid. It's quite congenial um, in that you are surrounded by people who like you are graduates, and um, and you see all sorts of interesting interesting things. Um, the day to day is you know can be quite mundane. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was a pregnant pause there. Good effort, though. Yeah, um, yeah um, I'm sold. I'm sold. Your yeah. marketing career has obviously um, done you a lot of favours uh, because I now want to retrain as a chartered accountant. Yeah, I, well, funnily enough, I haven't been encouraging my sons to retrain as charter to train as train as chartered accountants. Um, and Fair certainly, enough. you know, it was not. You know, I was fairly certain of the things I things I didn't want to do, and I thought that it would it would uh, delay a decision. Um, I, I fell into that sort of trap, um, and uh, and uh, you know I spent a long time trying to trying to fight my way out of it, um, uh, and uh, and actually one of my clients um, recruited me uh, to um, to come and join his his firm as as initially as financial controller and then fairly swiftly as finance director, and then we did an MBO. We bought him out about three or four years later, and. Um, and I spent probably about twenty years, you know, run, running running a marketing agency, where no two days were ever the same, and not many accountants can say that. So, but the accountancy side was very very simple, um, and actually, you know, running running a a, a people business largely full of divas, um, you know, a hundred plus divas floating around, um, you know, was was quite fun and quite challenging, um, and as far Excellent. removed from the day to day of a. Of a, <laughs> of a normal finance director's role, um, uh, so that was quite fun. But I, you know, you do anything for for twenty years, um, it, it gets a bit, you know, it gets a bit stale. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. And uh, you know, and unbeknown, I'm not, and actually throughout that time, I pro I always had other business interests in other businesses. Um, you know, at one stage, we, my sister and I had ten toy shops across London. Um, under the name of Cheeky, under the name of Cheeky Monkeys, uh, which did really well in the nineties, and then we were we we were you know we were screwed in the early noughties when all our retail rents tripled over you know, over the course of three years, um, all of our rents tripled, and you just can't run you can't run retail businesses when you know your major cost <laughs> triples overnight. So yeah, um, gradually. Yeah. We wound that down and, and, and closed it. Um, well, it could be time to get back in. I mean, it looks like, like uh, I think there's going to be some fairly cheap uh, uh, retail rents available. Fairly yeah. Soon. And actually, I mean, if, if, uh, don't get me onto my hobby horse of uh, the iniquities of the prop, you know, property, property market and, the, and, and retail rents. But, but finally, and it's taken 20 years since I started railing about it, finally we're getting into a situation whereby um, uh, rent, you know, leases are short, so they're sort of annual renewable leases um, are starting to be offered, and uh, and and rents are are often uh, you know turnover based. Um, so, how did you get from a toy shop to? I mean, I understand how I would get from a toy shop to a drink, but how did you get? How well, did you get from the toy shop to being a gym producer? Well, the 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 the, the, the reality is 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 rather is is rather prosaic, really. Um, I had a stomach problem, um, and I was really quite I was quite ill uh, for quite a while. Um, uh, you know, and you go to your doctor, you know, and I couldn't drink. I mean, I you know, I, I think I'd just just turned forty, and um, uh, and and I'd uh, it's just almost overnight, um, overnight, I just could not drink. If I sniffed a glass of wine, you know, yeah. I would be really ill. Um, and it happened. What it happened one night. My my wife is a medic. 
and um, and of course, you know, medics never really, you know, they never want to treat their families, you know. So frankly, we, you know, an arm, you know, an arm has to be falling off. Yeah, yeah, got it, got it. Contemplate got it. Um, sending anybody <laughs> to you know, to A and E um, in the, if they're if they're one of her family, um, and uh, and you know, and she she actually she got quite close to calling an ambulance at one stage, um, and and it was, it was just one night, and and I'd had you know. I probably had the best part of a bottle of wine, you know, not much actually, um, uh, not, you know, nothing too extreme, but I was so ill as a result of that. Um, and then I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sniff alcohol and you kept, I kept going to the doctor and saying, doctor, I've got a drinking problem in the tight car <laughs> and they tend not to take it quite as seriously as you think they should. Um, and uh, the fifth doctor I saw identified the problem, and I had all sorts of, I had all sorts of other problems, and, and you know, and stomach problems, and you know, so and so. It wasn't just that. Um, but I eventually, the fifth doctor I saw said, I know precisely what the problem is. Um, you've got a problem with yeast and sugar. Your body isn't processing yeast and sugar properly. Yeast and sugar are hanging around in your stomach together, and doing what yeast and sugar do when they hang around yeah. together. Yeah. And the reason you can't drink is because although you haven't had a drop in two years if i breathalyze you now you'd fail um and uh and basically you feel like an alcoholic this is what it feels like to be an alcoholic you know and not much not much fun i you know i was still working i was functioning but yeah. you know i it's like walking around the whole time with with a really bad case of flu um so you just feel shit all the time and yeah, yeah, um yeah. And uh, and he said, right, and the good news is I know how to cure it, but it's going to take quite a while. Um, and you've got to cut yeast and sugar out of your diet. So I did that, and I did that for two years, um, and felt absolutely a million dollars. And uh, and then he said, right, we're going to start reintroducing things, um, and uh, we'll start reintroducing alcohol, but we'll only, but we'll be, it'll be white spirits, so gin, vodka, um, because they they don't have uh, yeast and sugar in them, and uh, I, you know, I started drinking them with uh, uh, with mineral water. Now, having had a really bland diet, you know, because I'd had, you know, cutting yeast and sugar out of your diet is much easier said than done. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, we weren't, we didn't get many invitations whilst um, whilst this was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here's your water. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, we were. Um, but you know, it, it was fine. Uh, my wife is, is a fan, is a fantastic is a fantastic cook, and we had you know it was very traditional British diet: meat and two veg, um, yeah, yeah. no sauces. But really, you know, we concentrated on really good ingredients. Um, really, you know, really, you know, we've got a big kitchen garden here. Um, I've always been a, been a keen, um, uh, keen, keen kitchen gardener. So you know, we've got plenty of fresh produce uh, you know, coming in. And, uh, and 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 that, that, that was great. Um, and then when I started to drink again, well, having had a, a bland diet, the last thing I wanted was a bland spirit in vodka. I wanted, uh, and, I, and I loved juniper. I decided I really liked juniper. I liked gin. Uh, my grandparents used to drink quite a lot of gin. I say gin um, because you know I don't think they drank a lot of tonic. Um, <laughs> the, the famous line of "Go easy on the tonic." You have no idea how expensive tonic is. You know, sort of, um, uh, and are keen on martinis and things like that. So I always associated gin with, um, with frankly, with old people, and uh, and it was a, it was it was just like sort of uh, like a, a kind of revelation when I when I you know having had come from a bland two years of a bland diet. Um, and and then having a drink that had had great flavour, um, but a trouble with gin. It doesn't really go with uh, with food. Juniper is a very bitter botanical, and unless you're going to eat game, and and you're probably one of the few people who who eats uh, eats an awful lot of game. I think you know uh, we're keen. We've got your 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 game cookbook, um, oh. and uh, but you can't eat game every night. And no, uh, no. <laughs> so I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, we, we, at the moment, just, we, we're, we're lusting after your venison carpaccio recipe, um, and we're trying to get hold of some venison at the moment. Uh, right, stop it. You keep going off track. So what, how yeah. did you end up making your own gin? Well, That's what I'm trying to get from you. Okay, well, <laughs> well, well I, I started, started making my own gin because, um, 
uh, you know, at the time, there were probably only, well, there were fewer than 10 brands out in the market uh, of gin, and none of them really went with food. And I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, I must be able to make a gin that I can, I must be able to make myself something that I can drink with food. And mm -hmm. so I started experimenting. And I had no intention of doing this commercially. It was purely so that I could have something clean and refreshing that I could drink all evening. And um, and I had a and I'd always made fruit gins, you know. So I so I thought this can't be too difficult. Um, and uh, and I knew basic the basics of distilling. I'd once done a module at university on on the ancient Egyptians, and um, and ha and so I, and I knew and I knew how they distilled. So the science hasn't changed. Um, no, no, no. The kit's a bit more sophisticated now, but the science principles are, are still, you know, <laughs> very simple. And um, and so I started experimenting, and it took me a year before I discovered that raspberries did something magical with um, with juniper. But, you know, they are really a natural culinary pairing. Um, mm. You know, uh, and um, uh, and they work really well. And then I spent another sort of probably three and a half, four years working out what was the optimum mix of botanicals to support that pairing. Um, so that I had something clean and refreshing that I could drink all evening. And um, uh, and and then once I'd got that, you know, and I realized, I mean, I was probably doing a, a new, I was doing a different batch every week. I mean, it's, you know, only making a, you know, a couple of liters a week. Um, and change, and I'd spend all my time, I was still commuting into London. So I'd spend my time on the train. I had an hour, an hour and a bit commute each way each day. So it gives you, you know, it gives you a couple of hours, hours a day to think about botanicals and think about mm. recipes and, and think about flavor pairings. And, um, and so I'd sit on the train thinking, oh, well, I wonder what happens if I add a little bit of this, or I think I've got too much of that. I'm going to dial that, that down a bit. And, um, and then I'd experiment. And, uh, and I realized I got, got it right when I realized actually I hadn't changed the recipe in three months. And, and everybody who came through the door here, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd offer them, a, offer them a, a, a gin and tonic. Um, we didn't have a name at that stage, and um, anyway, it was pink, you know, from the raspberries, and I, yeah. you know, I thought, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. Um, it's what it tastes like is the most important thing, and uh, and so many people say, oh, I don't like, I don't like gin, and I noticed that the people who said I don't like gin, and I would say, well, look, just have a glass, and if you don't like yeah, it, yeah. put it down, and there's a, a bottle of bottle of white in a in a cooler there, and some glasses, just pour yourself a glass of white all this red there, you know, help yourself. Um, I won't, I really won't be offended. But I noticed that people who had said, I don't like gin, um, would say, actually, that was really nice. Can I have another glass? And, yeah. and then, friends, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. then friends kept saying, you ought to do this commercially. And I kept oh. saying, have you any idea how much time, effort and money are required to do this commercially? And, and commercially, you know, we looked after, we did a lot of the marketing for some quite big brands. Um, mm. And I knew how much they were spending with us, and I reckon we were at the low end of the the far end of the food chain, the marketing food chain. Um, yeah, so I knew yeah. that this was an expensive exercise. Um, and then a then a couple of friends um, started dangling dangling sort of checks and saying, um, "We'll back you." Um, and having been running in the same agency for you know at that stage eighteen years. Uh, and I, you know, bored, and uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. actually, and I was thoroughly out of love with my business partners too. Um, <laughs> hope, no, hope, none, hope none of them are listening to this. Um, and uh, and I thought, actually, I'll give it a give it a try. Um, and uh, and so, and I've actually one of my business partners, um, who is still my marketing director today, um, and who I first met at prep school, age age nine. Um, uh, and I and I knew he was equally fed up. And I'd said I'd said to him, look, you know, how about doing this? Um, and uh, and we both decided we'd have a go. And um, and we did. And um, and you know, so that was twenty. That was the beginning of twenty thirteen. Um, we went out and did a load of foodie festivals um, to see whether or not people we didn't know liked it as much as people we did know because it's important as, very important as yeah, a nation yeah, yeah, we're yeah, yeah. terribly polite you know we always yeah. we've all been there oh aunt agatha i always look forward to your elderberry wine as we're busy looking <laughs> for, you know which is a, a, generally the most foul foul rank stuff as, okay. as we're busy looking for somewhere other than our gobs to pour it so um 
you know, so I, I wouldn't want to make, I didn't want to make a business decision, a career decision based upon the platitudes of my friends, um, however, you know, generous they were, you know, um, and however, you know, however large, you know, however, however much they were digging deep for it. Um, yeah, yeah, so we yeah. went out to foodie festivals. We, we signed up, we did four big foodie festivals, 10, 10 to 15,000 people a time, you know, three, three day events, different parts of the country. And, um, and we were selling gin and we were selling pinkster and tonics. And that by that time, we'd come up with a name. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, they, there was a lot of uh, pushback because people were saying, what, no free samples? And we said, no, we, we, you know, we can't, we're, we're, we're not selling by the bottle, we're just selling by the glass. Um, and if you don't like it, I'll give your money back. And, um, and really what I wanted to do is I wanted to see how many people bought second glasses. Yeah, and so yeah. everybody bought a glass. I gave them a, we'd have these stickers printed saying perfectly pinkstered. And we, we gave everybody a sticker um, when they bought a glass. And then when anybody came and bought another glass, and anybody came and bought a glass, but they already had a sticker, um, we'd make a notch on the pad. Mm. And that was the stat I wanted. And, and I'd agreed with my wife that if we, if we got over a certain level of, of um, uh, percentage of repeat purchases, then we'd, we'd uh, you know, I'd, I'd chuck in the day job and, um, and give it a go. And, um, and we, and so, we smashed all the targets. On. Oh, well, that's amazing, isn't it? And then the faith in the product has grown, grown ever since. And I'm sure that you've had lots of challenges with the business along the way. And there's three things that yep. I really love there. I'm hoping I can remember them all. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is that I, I really love the fact that, and this happens in the kitchen with me as well, you've kind of got it where you want it to be, but you haven't realized yet. Yes. And it's not until you've been making it the same way for three <laughs> weeks that you kind of sussed, actually, <laughs> I think it's there, this holy grail I've been searching for. I've found it and not even realized it. So, so many times people think, well, there must have been a big eureka moment. And actually it's just down to painstaking repetition and tweaking. And sometimes you're so involved with the process, you don't even see it. So I, I really like that part of the story. That was, that was very, um, very, very much one that, that ticked my box. Two, I love the audacity of going out there and going, no, I'm marketing a product, so I'm going to sell it. I'm not going to give it away. Yeah. Uh, because I want to know what people actually think. Yeah. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and three, um, you're absolutely right. Elderberry wine, elderberries are not that great a flavor. You no. need to work with them really carefully. <laughs> no, they're not. I, it's the old, I, 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 once made, um, I once made elderberry, I tried making elderberry gin. Um, no. And no, it's, the only, it's the only time I have ever, <laughs> I have ever finished an experiment and, uh, and, you know, opened, you know, opened the jar, tasted it and then gone and poured it straight down the drain. Yeah, I've done that as well. Actually, I gave it away, I think, to some not that high up the Christmas list people. <laughs> okay, well. um, but I did discover and my, one of my recent successes, actually, of the last three years, has been um, an elderberry port where I use elderberries and red wine and brandy and sugar and I make a port using uh, those and then we sort of heat treat it at the end to do away with any nasties from the elderberry seeds um, and that's incredibly popular. Yeah, um, I've, I've, so... see, I've seen recipes for that and I quite like, I rather, I'm rather partial to port um, and uh, almost as partial as I am to Pedro Jimenez but um... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pedro but, Jimenez. It's a very much misunderstood sherry grape, that isn't it? Oh, absolutely glorious! Drizzled over ice cream. I mean, just oh. you know. Uh, I do a liquid. Um, I do a liquid Christmas pudding where oh, yeah. we, we so you 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 stir together uh, two shots of Pedro Jimenez with one shot of cherry brandy. You sprinkle in a little tiny pinch of mixed spice yeah. and a slice of fresh root ginger, and you serve it over crushed ice. Oh God, that sounds absolutely fantastic! I'm it's, gonna have to, I, 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 I'm gonna have to email you afterwards, not after that recipe. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna give that a Steven, go. Steven, we're gonna have to meet up post lockdown. <laughs> there's, there's gonna be a brutal hangover coming up. Yeah. I can see it happening. Um, that's fantastic. I love the, the energy and enthusiasm, and I like the fact that you've gone from a chartered accountant to to via marketing to gin distiller. It's as if life has prepared you with all the skills you need do the best possible thing for well, you and 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 you know and and you know at the same time being you know having having sort of uh, been fairly you know heavily involved in a retail retail scenario yeah. um and i I've, I've owned i've set up and owned web, web businesses and it's funny that almost everything i've i've ever done um has suddenly turned out to be useful 
Um, that's great. And you know, and and it's all been useful. And we, you know, when we start when we started Pinkster, we got so much pushback from the trade um, because they, they, you know, you go and try and sell it to a bar, and they say, no, 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 um, a pink gin, no. Um, it, it, what, it's not London Dry because we do a secondary maceration uh, with fresh raspberries, which is why it's pink, um, and it's not therefore technically London Dry. And the bars would say, "Oh no, no, the consumer, the customers won't won't buy something that isn't London Dry." Um, but because we were doing these foodie festivals, and we then carried on doing lots of festivals, um, yeah, they were great for it's great marketing, good for the cash flow, um, and uh, and good to be busy uh, because at that stage I. Had rather more time on my hands than I'd anticipated, and um, uh, you know, and so I knew that the consumer really liked it. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, and you know, here we are now. There are hundreds of pink gins, and um, and a, a couple of years ago, I was I I was uh, had a, I was with um, I was having lunch with some people who worked for um, one of the multinationals, and they were they you know one of the questions they said, well, what sort of market research did you do before you launched Pinkster? Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, I didn't do any market research. You know, this isn't, I haven't made Pinkster because, you know, I'd gone out, I'd done some research, I'd identified a gap in the market and then I'd looked to fill it. You know, I, this is this is something that, that's happened organically because I wanted something that I could drink. Um, and it's entirely by accident that actually it's then, it, you know, it, it turns out other people like it as well. All the best things in life happen that way, in yeah. my um, in my short and somewhat erratic experience, anyway. Um, Stephen, this is amazing material. It's great to hear you talk so passionately about your product. And it's also lovely to hear in so much depth about the story of how you got there. Um, I'm fascinated. I could right. listen for hours, and I'm sure at some point in the future we will. But I have got an agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you uh, always have agenda, an agenda, Tim. <laughs> the agenda must be served. And the agenda... <laughs> The agenda is that I want to get out of you are uh, three ways in which you would like to change the world of food. And what we do is, in a minute, we step through an imaginary portal, you and I, yep. into an alternate reality in which everything is malleable and you can change uh, anything you like about the world of food, but you're only allowed three goes. It's not a sort of Aladdin situation where you're allowed to wish for more wishes. Nope. You're only allowed to change one thing, but you can go sort of, um, you can go micro or macro or zoom in or whatever you like. Um, and you can make them uh, flippant, fun, interesting, diverse, serious, world-changing, whatever you want. That's entirely up to you. I'll join you with it. And I will try my best to put a few um, spokes in the way, a few rocks under the train uh, of thought as we go along and see, you know, see how bumpy those particular roads might be. How, how do you feel about that? I, look, I feel I feel very very comfortable about that. I've I've got two things two things that 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 really irk me, uh, and uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, so really happy to to talk about those. Uh, and right. then, and I've got a couple of other things that I'm I'm you know I can't I haven't decided which is going to be my third yet. So um, okay. we'll see okay. how we okay. go. Well, as long as they're not chefs podcasts. And lockdowns, we should be okay. Um, so let's um, let's let's fire up the the um, the alternate universe generator and see how we go. Are you ready? Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's go in. Right. Well, we're in. Let's, yep. Let's let's ready. hear it. What's your first okay. one? Well, the first one is um, is is, uh, is 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 supermarkets and uh, and not selling British enough British uh, fruit and veg. Um, yeah, and uh, it really, really irritates me when I go into 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 retailer, and at the height of the British apple season, and discover they're selling foreign apples. Um, I know, you know, totally know. Wrong. nothing against foreign apples. Nothing foreign that... apples are delicious, yeah. but what on earth is the point in that? You know, this is we 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 are probably the country, the world's best country for growing uh, <laughs> growing apples. And uh, and we've got such a phenomenally wide range of flavours and you know and uh, and sizes and shapes and you know and wonderful wonderful apples and can you bloody well get them in in supermarkets? No, you can't. And it really pisses me off when I go into a supermarket and see that at the height of the British British apple season they are selling you know 
Spanish or you know or some other foreign foreign apples. Now nothing wrong with if I'm in Spain, I, I want to eat I want to eat local. I, I'd be really pissed off that I discovered they were eating English. You know they were having English apples rather than their own apples. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it you know, it just seems to me and I and I just hate the fact that I'm that you see orchards being ripped up. Um, yeah, and, and you know yeah. ancient orchards being torn up when they are fantastically fruitful, um, beautiful. Well, and you could be you could be destroying the last living example of a carefully grafted breed of apple as yeah. well. You know, I mean, apples are fascinating plants, aren't they? Because they don't grow true to seed. No, nope. you have to you have to take a graft from the tree and put it on a new rootstock if you want to guarantee the thing. And that's why you can get these trees that will grow. One branch will grow quince, another branch will grow apple, another Absolutely. branch will grow pear. I yeah. mean, that's an incredible, incredible world to delve into. Um, I used to do a bit of work with Thatchers, and they had a, an incredible collection of cider apple trees there, and still do, in yeah. fact, um, which is often uh, perhaps not obvious, but the heritage and, and the interest. There. Sorry, sorry, Stephen, I totally stole your point. Carry on. Carry yeah, on. No, well, that's, you know, look, that, yeah, that's why it, it just, you know, it, I... I and I get on my high horse every, you know, every year on this. It just, it just, it just grates. And um, you know, and, and let us, let alone the fact that you know the, the the environmental impact of flying or shipping, you know, apples from 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 another country into this country into the, you know getting them into the system. Um, you know, we've got lots and lots of orchards. Uh, we could easily get get apples into into um uh, in, in into the ch into the supply chain um and what so why the bloody hell don't we yeah okay well as i said at the start i was going to try and put a few um i was going to try and put a few rocks under the train of thought and uh, i'm going to try it's going to be difficult for me because actually i agree with you <laughs> completely um but what is okay so let's try and imagine what the bumps are um english apples are they're not as tasty as foreign apples? No, wrong. They're much tastier. Okay. Um, British uh, British apples are far too, far too expensive to produce. People won't pay enough for them in the supermarket. Oh, God, you, bear, you can barely give British apples away. <laughs> I mean, you know, you go to any <laughs> village in the country and there will be, uh, you know, on people by people's gates, there will be baskets of apples saying, help yourself. I mean, that's... That's not a problem. The problem is is that actually, uh, you know, uh, the, there have been some marketing campaigns, and you know, people know that they they they, they like a, a granny Granny Smith. But frankly, a marketing campaign could see, could 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 suit this. Um, there's all sorts of you know all sorts of wonderful puddings you can make with apples. There's all sorts of wonderful things you can do. We we've I've got given a pizza oven for Christmas, um, one of these uni fire fire pizza oven things. Other um, other brands of portable gas oh, yeah, other, other, I mean, pizza oven are available. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. At, but at, well, you're not the BBC, Tim. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. But I, I you know, I, well, maybe uni. Well, I tell you what. Okay, we'll we'll go with uni. It's an uni. Fine, yeah, fine. And, and I'll shut up. And we we've been making we after we finished making our pizza, we we put we put um we've been putting uh um uh, peppers and things in beforehand whilst it's warming up. So we've been um, sort of baking the peppers, and then after we've made our pizzas and things cooling down, we've then been putting in, um, uh, in, in we've been putting in cooking apples from from the garden, you know, which are still sitting out in the orchard, li lying on the ground, and uh, you know we've been putting them in, making the fantastic, you know, apple puddings, um, yeah. you know, in in the in the dying embers of the of the of, of this uh, pizza oven. Okay, right. So point number one then. More British apples in British shops, please. Yes. Particularly during the actual British apple season. Precisely. And okay, but um, so okay, that's good. And just and to be really annoying, can I suggest that those peppers that you put in your pizza oven were they um, were they locally produced? No, they weren't. I I wish we could grow peppers. I, I wish we could grow more peppers, actually. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it's I, annoying, isn't it? I I fall down on aubergines. I can't live without them. Mm. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're great, and but you know, I'm mean, like every year I try growing aubergines. I have to say I have yet to succeed. Oh, um, I, uh, I was working down in Devon a lot this summer, and there's a little um, kitchen garden there, and they've got a polytunnel, and they did quite well on their aubergines actually. Yeah, I, um, so I, it can I, be done. 
Yeah, I grow the, I, and I every year I, I sow the seed. It's, they stay in the greenhouse all year, and um, but I've I've yet to actually produce an aubergine. Um, when 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 eventually I'm retired and I've got enough time, I actually want to I want to build some um, hot beds. I'm really keen yes. to see if I can grow my my own pineapples. Um, now that's a Victorian invention, right? Is. Where the decomposing matter yep. from a compost heap is buried under soil and it generates heat as well as nitrogen. Yes. Okay. And Great. and Fine. it's uh, and this it, it, again the science is really simple um, and uh, you know they're relatively easy to, easy to con construct. Um, and I think they, it's tremendous fun. So I, mean, I like doing things like that. But um, I wish we and I, I wish I could grow grow peppers too. I, I, I seem seem to fail miserably with peppers as well as I do, as well as aubergines. We we seem to do all right with chilies, but like you, I can't grow a pepper for. Well, I say me. Actually, it's yeah. my brilliant wife Caroline that does all the gardening. I just go wander around saying, "Why aren't you doing this better?" And give me those. <laughs> I want to eat them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, my wife does exactly the same. I, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's very good uh, that's why i'm more into foraging to be honest it's like high octane gardening well, which requires no input uh, yeah, in well, advance the, or careful forethought the best thing to grow actually i always think is the is um uh, is sweet corn um i was used to wor wonder why it was called sweet corn because whenever i ate sweet corn it didn't seem to taste very sweet and then you realize when you grow it yourself you realize why it's called sweet corn and you pick it and you run to the stove um, because the, the you know the moment you pick it, the sugar starts the sugar starts turning to starch, and, yeah, and yeah. within an hour, ninety percent of it has has gone. So the sooner you can get it into the into the into the hot water, the better. Brilliant stuff. And that right. Okay. 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 No, no, so we no, adjusted the reality. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say the second the, the second second thing. Um, okay. Okay. It, hang on. I'm bracing myself. I'm getting okay. ready for it. Yeah, the okay, second, the second thing um, actually is, is 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 sort of connected, but actually that's that comes down to seasonality, and um, uh, you know I really I really object to uh, being offered um, uh, <laughs> um, asparagus that's been grown on the other side of the world, uh, you know, in 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 December, um, yeah. you know when we can gr we grow so much of it during the asparagus season which is actually you know quite quite a long you know so pretty much a quarter of the year really um yeah, yeah. and we can grow it in 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 big big volumes um absolutely uh, asparagus absolutely delicious we've we've got we grow quite a lot of it here i love it by the by the by the end of um we will stop on we we always stop on my youngest son's birthday on june the 11th and um because I can never remember when we started, but I know if we stop then, we have a fixed day to stop. But by that point, we are all sick to death of, uh, of asparagus. And, yeah, um, yeah, 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 as it should be. We, have it, we, we eat it every day. Um, and then I, but I get really, I really, I really object to, um, and this again is, is, is an environmental point, I think, um, because we're using up the resources are often of a country that has um, rather more limited resources than we have. They are then uh, being flown or shipped, to, you know, a very long way. Their food miles are enormous, mm. and it's not necessary. I think that we've got to get. I, I'd like to get back to um, an idea of, uh, of seasonality in our in our shopping, uh, and and I think the supermarkets could do really could do do that well. Well, I mean, it's just a simple case of stopping offering the stuff that isn't good, right? And actually, if you're a buyer, you know that the strawberries you're buying in December from Israel are pants. Yeah, yeah, right? they're not going to have you know, a plate. You know that, you know that. And yet you're sticking a label on them that says finest or best or succulent or delicious. And it's just like, well, you know, if I could have a T-shirt with handsome written on it and everyone believed it, <laughs> I, I'd have had a much better time in my 20s. Yes, do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, it, just because you put a label on something, it doesn't mean it's true. Uh, and and I, I completely agree on the asparagus one. There's a lot of um, tricky uh, questions around it. You know, there's there's been a lot of land erosion where it's being grown, particularly yeah. in Peru. Um, and, you know, it's displaced a lot of subsistence agriculture uh, and created quite a lot of problems and made a lot of middlemen or, or land grabbers exceptionally wealthy. Um, but I need to try and fight for it a little bit. So hang on a minute while I dredge the bottom of my brain and see if I can come up with a good reason for it. Um, why, why, you know, 
if let's say uh, as long as they're not importing it during the British asparagus season, well, no, but I mean, means... maybe every now and again a bit of imported asparagus from the other. No, I, even I can't convince myself that there's a good argument for this. No, and, um, like a, I failed. Beans, I failed. Beans from Kenya. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you know, there's lots of lots of parts of Kenya where they really struggle for water. And um, the amount of uh, water required to gr to grow beans, you know, it's quite 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 high. And okay, okay. So there's a really classic argument that gets trundled out about this, right? And I'm going to trundle it out yep. for you because I have my own response to this argument, and I'd be interested to see what yours is. You can't suddenly stop buying the green beans from Kenya, even though frozen green beans would be a much better option because they'd be much sweeter and much nicer and don't yep. have the same kind of signature issues as, you know, imported air freighted beans that have already been trimmed, dried out and gone dry. Um, uh, sorry, that, that I'm, I'm not framing this well. Mm. You can't stop buying these delicious, spankingly fresh green beans from Kenya and elsewhere because the people there farming them rely on that income. That's their livelihood. And we've given it to them by buying the beans. We can't just take it away. That will cause way too many economic problems for them. Yeah, I, look, I think there are other ways to sort. There are other ways to sort that. They, you know, there oh. will be things that they can do that we can't do, and um, and that requires, um, uh, you know, that that just requires requires the application of of, of brains and, and and money, both of which. Well, what are were in... they? What were they farming before they started farming? Green beans. That's my question. Well, probably probably not not very much, but you know, um, and they, where you know the, the you know the big flower plantations, etc. Um, yeah. You know, likewise. Um, now, I think it's probably flowers are different because you can't uh, you you know you can't really freeze them, but beans. You know, it seems to me to be nuts that we're we're flying beans in from Kenya um, yeah, when we is, could is, when we no could be having is. frozen beans, as you say. All right. Well, I'm. I, yeah, I've done a rubbish job at arguing against you because, um, <laughs> as what well, is what always happens is people say stuff that I totally agree with. Then I try to be journalistically tricky about it, and then I just fail massively. So, um, welcome to the Madam's Cast, basically. Yeah. Okay, so, um, Stephen, that's a great point, and actually, it's one. It's definitely going to end up uh, being something we have to look at further as a, as, a, as a sort of closed subject in terms of imports and. Um, seasonality because it is a point that comes up again and again and again that doesn't mean that I'm disappointed for it to come up again I just yeah. think it's really interesting so many people now are saying the same thing and definitely 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 20 years ago they weren't so that's um, that's a really interesting thing and um, I'm, I'm with you I'm going to change the world so that uh, so that air freighted vegetables uh, from the wrong side of the planet are coming to our supermarkets we don't need them they're not doing anyone any favours. Let's not have them. Uh, they've gone. Excellent. And they've left a bit of a hole in the world. So what's the last thing? Well, the last then? thing, the last thing, actually, I've decided I'm going to, I, I want to ban the use of the word premium um, in, in, in food. <laughs> in the insurance industry? No, in, oh, wait, if, wouldn't it be wonderful to... to wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, sad, 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 sadly, I think then insurance wouldn't exist. Um, uh, but actually, no. The use of the word premium in in food food packaging, um, it yeah. is a little bit like you know estate estate agents uh, talking about you know luxury and executive. The words have been overused, misused, and therefore completely lost their meaning. And just because uh, somebody puts premium on the, on their on their label doesn't mean to say that it actually is. Yeah. Okay. Well, surely in this day and age, we have um, a marketing authority, an ombudsman uh, or ombudswoman, perhaps, who is looking at this and going, no, you can't write premium on that because it isn't. Well, I, I, I don't think they are. I think it's one of those words that, that, that people are now so inured to seeing. They don't actually see. Um, they don't read it. They don't, you know, they, they, the consumer discounts the word. Um, you know, you can see some utter crap that's, you know, being described as premium. And you know, my particular bugbear is actually tonic water. Um, the, oh, okay. The, okay. the beauty of, you know, the beauty of somebody, you know, you know and actually we'll take this back to gin. The, one of the reasons that the gin that we've had, we've, we've experienced the, what they describe as the ginaissance, um, is I think largely down to fever proof. 
<laughs> Did you come up with Renaissance? No, 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 no. Somebody else will okay. have done that. You know, but, okay. But it's a, it's a great, but it's a, it's a great, great phrase. But you know, it's, the, the gin gin market has completely taken off. Now, I had yeah. no idea back in 2013 that the gin market was about to take off. You know, I, you know, I had no idea that I was absolutely. I was, I was, I, I was like the 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 um, I, I was like a a a, a, a mosquito who uh, just you know happened to happened to stick his proboscis into an artery um, and you know I had no idea that actually that market was about to, about to fly now the reason I think that we that the gin market has taken off um, is because of, of two reasons the first is the underlying reason is that other than juniper you've got a huge palette of flavors that you can impart to the you can you can put into the liquid um, yeah you, you know, it really, it's got the broadest taste spectrum of any alcohol. Um, the second thing is that uh, until Fever Tree came along, um, Schweppes had a monopoly, and they did what any sensible monopoly owner does, which is to maximize their, their margins, um, and they do that by cutting their costs. And yeah. so they kept going for cheaper and cheaper sugars. The principal ingredient in tonic water is, 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 is sugar. The next one, obviously, is, is quinine. Now, there hadn't actually been real quinine in, in Schweppes since 1943. Um, uh, the German U-boats had interrupted supplies from uh, uh, from South America. And, um, and now, uh, hang on, is quinine extracted from the bark of a tree? It is, is that... indeed, yes. Right, okay, okay, okay. I thought I might have made that up, but I, I wanted to get that clear. Um, but they're not air freighting real quinine, right? So we could continue to use that now. Oh, yeah, we continue continue to use that. And actually, the, um, uh, you know, the uh, Churchill um, asked uh, the boffins in Cambridge to come up with a with a, an artificial uh, alternative. And they've got it's exactly the same molecular structure. Uh, it's just man-made rather than than natural um okay. uh, which is which is fine i i, I actually i'm actually incredibly uh, uh, surprisingly ambivalent about that um, but what right. i do think makes a difference is the quality of the sugar i mean you and i will know that um that the the less processed something is generally the the, the better it is yeah um, I, I'm, I'm yeah, ninety-nine percent with you on that. The, yeah. You know, the, and and the great thing about um, you know, about thing about Fever Tree is, you know, um, they Fever Tree lead by saying that they're the, you know, they make it with real quinine. I, I'm less fussed about that. What they do do is they make it with 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 really good sugar. They make it with um, relatively unprocessed cane sugar. Um, yeah. And 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 I think I think they also now use a bit of um, beet sugar too. Again, have no problems with with beet sugar. I think it's absolutely fantastic. In fact, we're we're about to move from using cane sugar uh, to beet sugar in in our hedge hedge pig products, um, uh, partially because it's it's grown all around us. And um, yeah. you know, yeah. it, you know it, for white sugar, there's absolutely no difference between cane sugar and and beet sugar. Um, um, it behaves a bit differently in a cake scenario. I'd have to say I would, you know, I would almost always in the old days have gone for cane sugar over beet sugar from a caster sugar whipped up into a cake scenario. These days, I tend to mostly use uh, coconut sugar or brown sugar anyway for yeah. everything. So I'm probably sort of uh, wrong on that one. But that was certainly how I used to feel about. Well, uh, and sugar's using, an interesting one. Yeah, if you're going to use brown, if you're going to use brown sugars, you've got to have cane cane sugar, you know, because mm -hmm. they don't they don't make beet beet brown sugar. You know, no, 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 understood, understood, because it lacks the molasses. Yeah, it? but the point but, about sugar in tonic is that um, if you have a relatively unprocessed sugar, you get a much cleaner flavour. So when Fever Tree brought out their tonics, um, for the first time in, in, in frankly, in generations, um, you were able to taste the full range of botanicals in the spirit. Right, I've got two questions that I'm going to ask you because I'd like the answer to them. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether you might know them. Maybe I should get the boss of Fever Tree on here and ask him. Yeah, get Tim Warlow uh, on. He's brilliant. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But um, there's two things. One, I was amazed how much sugar there was. When I, I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was at River Cottage as a chef, we uh, we used to sell the Fever Tree tonic back when it was brand new. And I remember that it was, I think, 12 grams, it might even have been 17, but definitely 12 grams of sugar per 
uh, I think it was 150 milliliter bottle. And it was just, I was like, hang on a minute, that is like 12 teaspoons of sugar in one drink. I had no idea there was so much sugar in tonic water. So that was a bit of an eye opener. And the other one is, hang on a minute, fever tree, does, is that not, is a fever tree not a willow? I'm slightly confused as to how that um, the, comes around. Uh, fever, uh, the fever tree is, um, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, I think it's the Chinoa tree. Um, okay. I don't, I've no idea whether it's a, whether it's a willow. I um, no, I, so I can't can't answer that. Um, I can I can tell you that in a two hundred mil bottle of Fever Tree Indian tonic, um, there's there's um, there's a there's I think uh, about forty calories, um, uh, which would mean there's ten grams of sugar in a two hundred mil bottle. No, I think, oh, okay. five, which is, which is, I think, I think it's five grams of sugar. You know, you get, it's four calories for every gram of sugar. Right. Okay. So okay. there's 20 cat. So basically the, the, I think if you have a, 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 a hundred mil of fever tree, which is what I would recommend with a, you know, with a gin and tonic, um, if you're going to have, uh, well, I, well, personally, I, I will, I will have 50 mil of gin and, and hundred mil of tonic. But um, uh, you know, but the, you'll you'll have you'll have about twenty calories in the tonic. Uh, Interesting. But, Interesting. The, but the beauty of it is, you know, because it's clean clean sugar, you can actually taste the botanicals, and um, and then you've got you've got uh, and you know, and so they, therefore, and because the the ingredients are are expensive, you know, then then I think it is it is premium. Um, just bringing something out and calling it premium. When you're using cheap ingredients, you know, it doesn't 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 work. The reason Fever Tree have done so well is that they've taken one thing and they've used really good ingredients and they've done it really yeah. well. See, I really like the Bermondsey tonic water just to sort of alleviate the um, alleviate the Fever Tree madness going on, uh, uh, or the the wall to wall Fever Tree advert that's going on on the Madam's Cast at the moment. Um, <laughs> However, however, I want to keep chatting because I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. But here's the thing. Um, I want to have just five minutes from you on your hedgerow drinks oh, because yeah, yeah. I know that I know that they're a sort of side side arm of the business, but you make something called QB, which is a quince and bullis. Quince and bullis, yeah. So we've got a range. We... That's pretty special in my heart. Oh, I look, I, I I think that I think that is I mean that is a it's an absolute phenomenal phenomenal drink i've had i've had um several masters of wine tell me it's outstanding um and uh what's a bullet let's you know, think, i think most people know what quince is but yeah well a bullet is a wild hedgerow plum um bullets were very very popular in the 19th century um they um i think they are actually a uh a, a, a native native british native plum um and there there's 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 a, a couple of varieties. Um, the most, the ones people see most are um, called what's called a, a, what's called shepherd's bullis. Um, they grow in uh, they're 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 about the size of a marble. Um, they're round and they um, and they're sort of they they're pale um, pale yellow and they go go golden orange with sort of ready with a reddish tinge. Uh, when they're wow. when they're very ripe, they grow in hedgerows. They used they were very popular in the nineteenth century. They were turned into jam, um, and they went completely out of favour in the First World War. And what is left is basically a hangover from 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 a from a previous century. Um, okay, okay, uh, and they've gone feral and. Yeah, populated the hedgerows. They populated hedgerows, uh, and and you know, people don't know, uh, don't really know they're there. Um, they make a they make a fantastic fruit gin on their own. I first came across them uh, in a fruit gin in Suffolk um, when I was uh, had a, lucky enough to have a, a, a sporting day with some some chums, and our host had uh, brought out a a slow um, a, a, a bullish gin um, for our mid morning snack, and and I thought this was absolutely sort of amber nectar. Um, yeah. And uh, and then I discovered that we had some growing in a hedgerow um, uh, in the village here, um, and I've uh, actually I've been propagating 
um, and I've actually now I've now planted up two orchards um, uh, of it, and I think that in about five years' time we'll have enough bullets that actually we can properly we can properly make enough wild bullets and quince um, <sighs> to be able to, to to actively sell it. At the moment, we're very reactive about it. We can only make about two thousand bottles a year. Well, I mean, you know, I always try and make sure that I'm in possession of one of them. I know that much. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's amazing. And and, and um, I'm going to move us now yeah. into the final segment of the show, uh, if that's all right yeah. with you. If you're finished with premium as your final point now, I mean, I do agree that over-labeling stuff, I mean, maybe my T-shirt should have been premium and handsome <laughs> premium at the and same handsome. time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I do agree. And and I, like you, I think it's now pointless because, as you say, people just look at it and go, it doesn't mean anything. It's just there. And it's like the idea of value, luxury, smoked salmon. I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah. How? how, how what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, re the reality is that the, the consumer, the consumer, um, the consumer votes with their with their with the, with their lips. Really, um, yeah. you know, they taste something, and if they they like it, I mean, we we, you know, we, over the years, we you know, we've had we've had a lot of people say, oh well, you're not London dry, as I said earlier. You know, well, actually, the consumer doesn't really care how something is made. Um, when they taste something, they want to know it's well made. They want to know it's made with proper ingredients. And then when they taste it, they 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 subliminally ask themselves um, the question, you know, could I have another glass of this? And generally, if the answer is yes, they will drink it and they'll they'll have another glass. If the answer is no, they'll often not finish that first glass. Yeah. And they certainly yeah. won't have another. True, true. Yeah. Well, unless sheer desperation kicks in. Unless sheer, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends, depends how much they've had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> other, okay. other factors. Yeah. Um, fantastic. All right. Well, that's brilliant. So you have three tasks okay. left to perform before we boot you off the Madam's Cast. Um, you are now in a sort of strange uh, desert island type scenario. It doesn't have to be a proper desiccated desert island. It can be a sort of Restricted scenario of your own choice. Perhaps it's an enforced lockdown. That would be fun, wouldn't yeah. it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's one of those. And you have to choose two things. You have to choose a food book or a food-related book mm -hmm. um, that you would take with you. We've stolen this shamelessly from uh, from the desert island this yep. scenario. I mean, you know, there's no there's no doubt about that. But I like the idea, so we're going with that. Uh, and something, and I'm I think I might know what this is, but something you would have to take with you to drink whilst you were reading the book. Um, and then lastly, you can nominate somebody to come on as a future guest on the Madam's cast. They don't have to come on. There's no obligation. And, um, and they can be a real person, a fictitious person, uh, posthumous or coexistent. Up to you. Um, go. Okay. Three tasks. Right. Okay. Now, the first one, um, uh, the, my, the first one, I would, uh, the book I would take, uh, would be uh, my copy of The River Cottage Every Day. Um, oh. I have to say, I use it all the time. Uh, I, I love it. I could, you know, it's nice and nice and thick. I can, I could read it from beginning to end. And even if I haven't got the ingredients, um, my mind, you know, can 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 do the hard work for me and uh, transport me to a better place. But it's got so many wonderful things in it. Um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a it's a definite, well thumbed copy in my kitchen. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I remember we made a television series back in the day to go with that book. I hadn't uh, realised you were you you were you were involved in it, but um, so I, I chose. <laughs> well, don't worry, I'll tell you. Yeah, until, until you get bored and walk away, I'll keep telling you about it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's actually fantastic. I mean, we, one of the things that we do, um, one of the things I decided to do when I when I. Um, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I, you know, uh, was not constrained by normal corporate rules, um, I was very, I was determined that, uh, and I can't stand sandwiches, I'm, because one of, the, one of the byproducts of one of the you know, hangovers of having my stomach problem is I'm still really fussy about bread, um, so I don't like having sandwiches for lunch, and um, and in our we've got a we've got, uh, we put a nice kitchen into our in, into into Pinkster Towers, and. Um, and we cook every day for the team. 
and we take Brilliant. we take it in turns. I think it's fantastic team building, um, and I have to say the the, re the recipe book we use most um, uh, is the everyday cookery book, and you know there's so many good 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 things in there. Um, well, so I've got I, I have a copy at home and in the office. The inevitable has happened. Someone's just rung the doorbell. Hang on, what? Wait where you are, and I'll be back in just a second. Okay. Whilst an earlier version of me nips off to deal with the plumber ringing the doorbell, it seems like a good opportunity to remind you that you're listening to the Madam's Cast, all about foraging, farming, people, the planet, and food. And back to the earlier version of me. Right, right, I'm back. Okay. I'm back. So, yeah, so it's the plumber's arrived yeah. to fix this something or other. Um, anyway, apologies, best That's laid right. plans and all of that. So you cook for everyone every day. So the book is going to be River Cottage every day. River Cottage every day. Uh, and, and it's great getting the entire team sitting around the table um, uh, at lunch, you know, chatting. We, do, we, we actually, as a result, have, have shorter lunch breaks than we would do otherwise. Um, the team, I, everybody puts in a, we, we all put in a, we all chip in a quid a day and then the company picks up the bulk of the cost. Um, but it's, a re it's really good for team building. It's really good um, for you know staff retention, and we eat bloody well. Um, oh, some say. cracking recipes, in it, there. and I love the concept. Yeah, it's it's great. So that would be my that would be my uh, yeah that would be my my you know my desert island uh, uh, cookery bible. Um, obviously, I, I'm the what I'm gonna the drink I'm gonna want to wash it down with um, is going to be pinkster um, because <laughs> you know I made it to drink with food. Yeah, I made it. I wanted something clean and refreshing. I could drink all day, all night, um, and uh, so it would have to be. It would have to be Pinkster. But you, you, you could see that one coming. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, no. No doubt about that. Like the inevitable tax return. Yeah. Um, it was. It was rolling down the road, and and it would, so, and it would right go right. with. It would go with. I'd be able to drink it with pretty much every single recipe in that in that cookbook. That's great. That so, is exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, all right, so River Cottage every day and a glass of Pinkster, which you're going to have with tonic. Yeah. Um, and I'm not there, but if I was there, I'm not a huge fan of sweeter drinks. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shake mine with some ice and maybe a drop of something, um, and go that go that way with it. But I, I'm very much, um, very much happy to enjoy you, yeah. uh, a supper I, with you or lunch with you. I'm, I'm ha happy to start with a with a pink teeny. You know, we could do. Um... You know, we could do pink. There's no tonic in that. You know, just you know, neat, neat pinkster with a dash of um, of of elderflower. Um, absolutely yeah. delicious. Nice. Yeah, that does sound yeah. good. You that know, does sound good. So, um, yeah, no, so, uh, so I'm sure we, I'm sure, I'm sure we could, we could, uh, we could come up with a uh, with a with a pink pinkster cocktail that would um, satisfy satisfy you. Oh, no doubt, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. And if the first one's no good, the second one's always delicious. <laughs> yes. Well, think about, think about martinis. You've got to be really careful, haven't you? So, um, Dorothy Parker's line: "I love a martini, two at the most, three, and I'm under the table, four, and I'm under the table." Four, is that it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whenever, I, whenever I do cocktail masterclasses, I always tell that. And then at the and and then at the end, I would say, "So now, if you're going to if you're going to throw a party, serve." serve pink teenies and um and you know and there are a few people then pick up that you know that what i'm you know that laugh because they, they they remember what i've said earlier so it's um i think it's you know i'm big i love i love martinis but they are very dangerous yes yeah that is true there, there's no doubt about them um them they, they're, they're definitely something to have and then put down and move away from yeah uh, that's 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 <laughs> okay, okay okay fantastic and um have you got some sort of idea of somebody that you might um, uh, suggest as a next willing victim for the Madam's cast. I I have I have got a chap called Chili Ollie, um, oh. who is absolutely he's who um, is fantastic chap. Um, he's a chef. Um, he's uh, particularly keen on chilies, as 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 you might guess. Um, ah. He uh, he's he's currently making uh, jams and. Um, uh, and uh, and jam-based cocktail mixes for us out of our leftover fruit. Um, he's in. He, he's just, he's he's great. Tremendous fun. Very very interesting. Um, a very very good 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 chef. 
Um, and uh, and he's got the gift of the gab. So I think he'd be I think he'd be perfect for the Madam's cast. His, his real name, well, his real name is, is 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 Ollie Reynolds, but he's known known to all and sundry as Chili Ollie. Yeah, I sort of worked that out because I did think. I mean, that's amazingly fortuitous that his parents uh, named him Chili, yes, and he's exactly. so into Chili. Yeah, uh, but I, I, and then I sort of my brain caught up with my my mouth, and I thought, oh, I won't say that. that yeah, uh, the, the irony is, I I really do not like chilies. I do not like. Um, I'd really I can't cope with with food that's too hot. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm constantly saying to him, "Please, no chilies in the jam." <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the title of a post-war novel. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Brilliant. Well, uh, Stephen, thank you so much well, it's for joining pleasure. in. It's, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, and, and we, I think we we need to organise something um, when when uh, when the world resumes. Um, we should we should arrange to meet, and I, perhaps a perhaps a, a cheeky trip to the Jerez region of Spain, um, oh. for some uh, um, some Pedro Zimene tasting. Have you been? I mean, I had no, a look I've around. Never the, uh, I've never I've been. I've been around the, the, the. There's quite a big one there. I think it's Rodrigo Bayaz or something. Mm. It's quite a big one. They make Harvey's Bristol cream and stuff like that. We've been around their bodega once. That was quite cool but we only just sort of brushed the surface really of what there was to discover i mean the whole concept that they've got going with sherry where you have the solera where you're deliberately oxidizing a wine which is something that all other wine producers desperately try and avoid yes and this is an industry that at one point was run by the moors so you had uh, a non-drinking culture taking it over yeah i mean the the history there is astonishing. Sherry, for me, is the most misunderstood I'm, drink ever. I'm absolutely with you. And every time everyone says to me, "Oh, you know, what's going to be the big, the next big thing in the drinks world? You know, is it going to be rum?" And people have been talking about rum being the next big thing for forty years, and it and it's, <laughs> never, it's never got there. And every time anybody says this to me, I said, "No, oh, I think sherry is more likely to become a big thing than yeah. than rum." Um, it's yeah. an infinitely more interesting, interesting drink, and there are yeah. some great rums yeah. out there. But the breadth and the the sophistication of the of of, sher- of the range of sherries is is just is is you know, is wonderful. Uh, I've never been there. I'm I'm desperate to desperate to get out there and go and go tasting. I I I think sherry, sherry is a much underrated um, underrated drink. Well, listen, I'm very happy to go again. I've got a mate who's a bit of a foodie and he's got a house not too far from there. Maybe we'll buzz him up and see if we can um, we can sponge a room off him for a night or two. And then we can go and have a little rootle around the, uh, the bodega. I think that would be fantastic. All right, brilliant. Well, listen, brilliant. if that plan yeah. fails, as we can't travel internationally, come on up to Scotland in the autumn and we'll go and pick some mushrooms and uh, and have a few drinks um, while we're doing it. I, 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 I look forward to it. I, 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 and I, yeah, well, we, we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk and on because I know you've met another friend of mine who's just moved up there as well. So, okay, brilliant. Well, listen, um, yeah. my love to Cambridgeshire, one of my uh, dreams has always been to shoot pigeons in Cambridgeshire. Um, but I haven't haven't quite managed to achieve it yet. So maybe maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah. I wanted to do that with Will Garfit, who I know is a, oh, yeah. um, a Cambridgeshire fellow and a bit of an expert pigeon shot. He's a really nice guy that I've but, met a couple of times. But yeah, he's very um, he's a very nice guy. He's he's lives very close to us here. Um, I, he's a fantastic watercolorist as well. Is he? I didn't realise that. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You should look up his paintings. They're brilliant. Yeah, uh, we've got we've got a lot of we've got. I've met him a couple of times. We've got a lot of mutual friends. Um, oh, brilliant. And, Great stuff. Uh, nice guy. But it's a, it's a small world. Excellent. All right. Cheers, Cheers. Stephen. All Thank the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, matey. Bye. Bye.